so what we do is, you know, we'll help produce events for charities, but we'll also try to help them identify who are celebrities that would be great people to help endorse what they do. You have to start small. You just have to start. And if you don't start small or start at all, it'll never get done. And it's just always stuck with me that people have these grandiose ideas and they're still in grandiose 10, 15 years later. My guest today is Prabhath Gotham, and he is most definitely a world changer. Rather than starting a new organization, he brings his efforts and energy to helping the people and organizations already doing so much good in the world and making so many positive changes. And he helps with organizations flourish. And one of the ways he does that is to connect celebrities and social media influencers with organizations who can benefit from having light shined on their, uh, on their efforts. He does a number of things though. He's also the founder of Positive Television. He's a podcaster, a fundraiser, and he is frequently a volunteer. Uh, he's what I call a super connector. And I, I think you'll really enjoy, uh, being inspired by his, uh, infectious energy. Uh, so please, if you would, uh, click on the subscribe button below. That would help me out. And enjoy this conversation between myself and Prabhath Gotham. Yeah. Welcome to How We Change the World podcast. Can't imagine anybody more appropriate to be speaking to on such a subject. Um, gosh, I'm just thinking, like, we, we've only met each other a, couple, a few, maybe a handful of times over the last few years. But I had no idea much about you until we ran into each other a few weeks ago, and really, I heard all these wonderful things. But I never knew the, I never knew the details of what you do, and uh, I was kind of blown away by it all. So I'm really appreciative that you're here, and I'm excited to hear more about what you've been doing over these last, I don't know, your whole life, basically. I mean, well, thank you, and I'm excited about you know not just the conversation today, but everything that comes after these conversations with us collaborating on other things and also the people that are listeners that, you know, that I'll bring to the table that you'll work with and people that you know that I'll work with and just so much good <laughs> will come out of it. So that's well, so exciting with these opportunities. Yeah. I, that's the whole reason that I was saying it, it's so great to have you um, as one of the first guests for a couple of reasons. One is your, your, your magic as a super connector, like that is your sweet spot, right? That's what you do to change the world is you connect people, but you have this way of just seeing, you know, different people and what their interests are and what their needs are. And then you pull it all together. And, uh, and that's what you started doing already. We barely got the podcast started and that, that's where your mind is at. So you, you can't take a step without that mindset, it would appear. Yeah, that's, and it's just exciting because I, when I look back, it's all start really starting childhood. You have a friend that's like, "Oh, my favorite show is this," and you're like, "Oh, these are the seven times it airs on TV." Here's a list for you. Like, just figuring out, you know, how to make people's lives easier. But so much of that is really connecting people that are way more expert than me in a million areas, and then get those two people huh. in the room together, and then get out of the way. Well, it's, that's an interesting thought that you just brought up because, or observation, because I always wonder when I see people who are really working hard to change the world, that old question, is it nature or nurture? You know, is it because of events that have happened to you in your life that, that, that 
propelled you to do things or is it is this just how you are and i think in your case just a little bit that i know about your life it's a little of both right i mean it's a lot of both frankly um yeah so actually maybe before we get into what let's talk a little bit about your backstory and and um where you remember starting to take action i know that I know one thing you said is like eight-year-old, you became a vegetarian or at least tried to. I don't know how well it worked. Is that is that your first time you said, I'm going to do something to make a difference in the world? Yeah, I think I was I was fifth grade and just learning that chinchillas were killed for, you know, chinchilla coats and it just bothered me so much. And I thought mm. like these little animals are killed for clothing. And I didn't even obviously put together that they're killed other animals are killed for food but the yeah. idea that like it just seems so vain and so like completely unnecessary and then you know what do you do as a child uh right usually not a lot you know you think about it but you know you're really you're limited by what your parents are going to let you do or not do sure and i just remember then from there going to friends houses and if somebody's eating chicken or making chicken you know you don't want to eat it then you eat it and you don't and there's just something that's just said, why am I participating in, you know, another being being killed? And I think it just started a process. And then obviously, mm -hmm. once you have more control, I think for me, it's middle school, high school, where you can really, you know, determine what are you eating? And then, yeah, but I, but I think it, what you said is totally right. It all started consciously in fifth grade learning about chinchillas killed for fur. Interesting. Like that's the moment where I was like, this is wrong how do you stop it? And, you know, many years later, I got to be part of the West Hollywood fur ban, which is the first city in the country that banned the sale of fur. And I don't think that's really coincidental. I think like there's a no. seed that gets planted at a, at a, at a young age. Yeah. And then you just know you want to fix that. And then you're able to do something, you know, at whatever level you're able to do it at. So, yeah. Well, there's so many yeah. things as a kid you don't have control over and you just wish you did, but somehow you put it away and file it away and do what you can. So, yeah. but I think what I did learn about you recently was that you lost your father. That was sort of the next big thing when you were 16. 16. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And he was young, 40 yeah, something. Four, 49 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that's a huge moment because I think when you're young, being naive is such a good thing and just believing everything's going to work out perfectly. And, yeah. you know, like there's just this idea of, you know, your parents will see all your big moments, right? Your wedding, your, your, Graduation, whatever you're starting your company, whatever it yeah. is, right? Like for yeah. the people that are actors, like their parents, they're getting an Oscar or musicians getting a Grammy or, yeah. you know, or the Nobel peace prize, whatever the thing is that, you aspire to want to, you know, publicly right. receive, you think they'll be there for all that. And when that doesn't happen, it shakes your world. And you just realize, wow, you can't control the ending of things. How did that event, like, what, what did you do after that? Because I know you've, you have some of the places where you volunteered or maybe worked, I don't know, um, have been to do with preventable death. Like a lot of the, a lot of the volunteering and a lot of the work you've done has been helping people prevent unnecessary or untimely early deaths. Is that, yeah. is that what happened when he passed away? And, and how did you, how did, what did you do? Yeah, I think first? you're right. Like I think often, right. People are drawn to causes that affect them directly. Right. Like if somebody sure. is 
an advocate for cancer. It's because because they either had it or somebody that they're close to had it, and it helps people cope. Also, passed, with right? Losses. And it's probably yeah, a it way to like control. save others from the same you know, right. trauma that you went through. So sure. I think that's probably a lot of it for me. You know, I was a junior in high school. I think just seeing, you know, everybody around you, you know, I have an older sister, younger brothers, I have my mom and just see how they're all dealing. My father's brother, my uncle, you know, he's the first one that came from India to the United States and for, you know, right. him to lose his younger brother, like, and obviously for it's me tough. to lose a, a parent is devastating as well. But I think more than anything, I went into, how do you make sure everybody else is okay mode? And I think I mm-hmm. didn't really properly grieve for, I think for at least probably six, seven years. Cause I think yeah. I was just in a place of, okay, well, what do we do now? And yeah. And you know, my uncle really said, and he's just, you know, such a wonderful person and a great example of, you know, what people should be in your family. He said, I want you guys to live, you know, as close to us as you can Live, moved to the same town. Mm-hmm. My sister was already in college at the University of Oklahoma. My uncle lived in Norman. And he said, you guys should move there. Mm-hmm. And it really, I think, helped so much because, you know, you know that this person and, you know, his family, they're they're going to check in on you. And, and obviously, you know, we had no preparation for what it's like to lose somebody. So I think mm-hmm. th- that's probably the immediate thing that happened. And I think the, the next thing that I think happened was, you know, that summer... Yeah, we had one remaining grandparent and, you know, now that I'd lost a, a parent, you know, one parent and one grandparent left. So I really mm-hmm. pushed my mom to say, let's go to India to, for us all to see oh, my really? mom's, I'm responsible to see my, my father's mother. So, you know, uh-huh. so that's the last person from my father's side. And then, you know, both of my mother's parents had passed. So we went and saw my grandmother and yeah, it's the first time we went to India. And I remember going and seeing children on the street asking for money and it just really made me sad. Yeah. At that point, I'm, you know, a few months had passed. I turned 17 at that point. And you're just really sad. And you think, well, why are these kids asking for money? And then my mom said, you know, their parents put them up to it. And, you know, it's a way to, like, help the family sustain themselves. Mm-hmm. And there's just so many layers of, of realizing yeah. this is real poverty. This isn't, like... And obviously, everything people go through is sad, and somebody not being able to pay their rent is obviously devastating and depressing. But in this case, you're dealing with people, they don't have food to eat. You know, they're living on the street, so, and they're children. Yeah. And I'd never seen that. Like, I never, you know, there certainly were homeless people in Oklahoma where I grew up. I just never saw them. You know, I went to school and came back home and just was never exposed to anybody homeless. So I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know. I'd never thought about yeah. it. So seeing that in another country, I think really opened up my eyes. But what was what was the first thing that you did then as a result of, of your father's death and the, this trip to India where you saw such poverty? Because I, I know you, you, actually, even before that, did you, I know you donated uh, bone marrow to, to someone. I don't know this girl. She had leukemia. I don't know what your relationship to her was. But how, how right, old were so you then? That was, were you older? I was 24. When that happened, so what? And, and there is oh, the, the common thread. Oh. So I, I, you know, I switched to new high school. Then when I started college, I was um, interning at a college cable access station. And then you know we're doing a show where musicians kind of get their fifteen minutes of fame. They come and perform. And I learned a story about a girl mm-hmm. named named um, Alyssa Miller. And Alyssa was a beauty pageant contestant, and she died in a car accident. But her big cause, her big cause, was organ donation. And once I learned that, I said to my co-host, 
we're going to do PSAs about organ donation. He said, that has nothing to do with our show. Our show is about music. And I said, it doesn't <laughs> matter. I've learned Alyssa's story. Yeah. We're doing it. So I, I asked the, um, yeah, this Oklahoma Blood Institute sent us PSAs on blood, organ, and bone marrow donation. So we started running these PSAs at the beginning or end of every episode. And then one of the, mm. then one day I thought, well, why am I not signed up to be an organ donor? At this point, I'm, donor. you know, 19 years old and doing the show. And then forward five years and they reach out, you know, then, then at some point I signed up to the National Marrow Donor Registry. And at age 24, you know, I get contacted to say that I'm a marrow match. But as what you said is it's all, if my father doesn't pass, you know, when I'm, not, uh, when yeah. I'm 16, I don't think about how do you prevent preventable death. If I don't learn about Alyssa Miller's story and this like beautiful person yeah. who her whole mission is she would speak about, you know, organ donation at these, uh, you know, beauty pageant contest. And I got to meet Alyssa's friend, Corby, Corby Wells. And then Corby put me in touch with Alyssa's mom. And I said to, and then yeah, after I was a bone marrow donor, I said to Alyssa's mom, I only became a marrow donor because of your daughter. Like your daughter's passing is what got me on the next journey, which is to get wow. the PSAs yeah. about organ donation. And, and then you just see when you take like, whatever they say, the thousand foot view from away, like you see how it's all connected. And and then my when right. I came to LA because I wanted to really work on helping charities and causes because yep. I knew that that was something I was passionate about. And LA is obviously the a major media mecca. And I thought if you're going to make change, if you cause a little ripple to to do good, the ripple is a giant ocean because you're in Los Angeles or New York or you know Chicago, DC, San Francisco. There's a few cities where it can happen at a larger scale. I think Denver, Austin, Portland are becoming you know, those new cities now where you're seeing them. They're headed in that direction, but still what's in LA and New York, it's, you know, they, it is a lot of action and you're right because of the person that you are and how you connect people that it's much easier, I think, for you to, to make change while you're there. So then what happened? So when you, I think, I think when we spoke recently, you said Mercy for Animals was the first organization that you joined. I don't know if that's accurate or not. But, or the first one that yeah, you so it was it was the first one where I did I, their whole big gala for them. So you know I'd helped uh, on smaller levels with other charities like General Barn yeah. and um, Humane Society, oh. PETA, you know Animal Acres, but Mercy for Animals like to put the entire gala fundraiser together. And you know, my friend Susan Weingarner oh. and I put that event together, and that was really the launch of them opening their LA office. And then, you know, that's happened multiple so, times since where oh, I got to do that for other charities. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Mercy for Animals yeah. a little bit just to get into the, the specifics of one so we can yeah. get more uh, traction. Uh, do you want to describe, because I'm yeah. familiar with Mercy for Animals just coincidentally because they were in the book that I wrote in 2016, One Person Acted, and Ricky co-wrote with me, my son. And uh, uh, Nathan Runkle, who is now Milo. Milo, I yeah. I Milo. Milo and Milo. Yeah. Milo Runkle, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, his story is similar to yours because he became a vegetarian. You know, I heard of his hopeful story when he was so young. Same thing, seven or eight, and had to watch his uncles in as far as, like, hunting and, you know, taking the fur off animals. Can't think what the term is. But, you know, it was just so painful for him, and he kind of had to stuff it a little bit for a few years until he was able to make a make an organization. And then at a very young age, he did. And it's just interesting that you're one of the first ones who came in and helped him. Um, 
so, and we're going to talk about first followers and early helpers in just a second, but tell us just a minute about um, Mercy for Animals. Like, what, what was the condition of that organization? Like, how small was yeah, so it? Yeah, they you, had a lot of satellite organizations, or sorry, satellite offices for mm -hmm. the organization at the time. Oh, they but, you know, that. they were, you know, mm -hmm. somebody in their apartment or like, you know, it was really small. Yeah. And they, but they had multiple yeah. people all over the country and they, you know, Milo at the time, you know, Nathan was going to move to Los Angeles and they were looking to, you know, open an office here. And I had, you know, helped mm. an organization before called Com Com uh, Compassion for Killing do the same thing. So I, you know, had some of that experience. And the idea was, okay, this group is, you know, they do, they have veg starter guides. They, um, you know, were leafleting. They're giving out vegan food at festivals or in local communities. They've done a lot of work that's, mm -hmm. you know, anti um uh, factory farming and just raising awareness about that undercover investigation work. So they're a group that people knew they were good and they existed, but they really hadn't had that giant national presence. I think they'd started to, but you know, obviously once you come to a major media place, you can just kickstart that to a whole nother level. So yeah. when Susan and I yeah. did that event for them, you know, Bob Barker was there and you know, he made a significant donation and who is a huge animal rights activist and yeah. has been. And he's amazing, right? Yeah. yeah, Bob Barker's been so yeah. amazing yeah. with what he does. So just putting that event together, yeah. because, you know, I'd been here for so long and had done that, you know, for so many organizations, and, you know, I'd probably done several hundred events at that point. But this was like a, a to Z, do the entire event, Susan and I. So we're inviting all the donors, all the celebrities, all the volunteers, getting food donated, auction items donated, and then you know, working with the Mercy for Animals staff, but because they're not in Los Angeles, you know, they don't really have the infrastructure to, you know, they don't yeah. have the local yeah. contacts. So they might have a few, but they don't have all of them. And Susan just, you know, such a gem to work with and being able to like put that whole thing together. And then seeing that, you know, they open an office, they grow, they expand and being able to be there. So they made a lot of money at that gala, obviously they, raised a they, lot of money. They did, at yeah. And, and as people remember, yeah. Bob Barker leaves and then he comes back. He said, "Oh, I forgot something." He hands a check for five hundred thousand dollars and said, "Oh, I forgot something." Ugh. And we never knew did he do that on purpose or did he legitimately just forget to leave his check for five hundred thousand? And if he, yeah, <laughs> regardless, but it was a great little scene. And then obviously everybody applauded. Yeah, he said, okay, bye. It was the oh, ultimate like mic drop moment where he's like, "Okay, I'm out." I just thought, you know, I I, I, I forgot to drop off some mail to you guys. Here's a little check for. Uh, Five hundred yeah, thousand. So so. But that's but that great. was just such an exciting moment, and obviously I love the work that they've done, and and I think more yeah. than anything, what I have learned in the animal, you know, advocacy movement is organizations grow and change and evolve, and I, I just try to stay to a place where there's going to be ninety eight percent of what they do that you love, and there's probably going to be one or two percent you wish organizations did differently. And you see this a lot with PETA, mm -hmm. Humane Society. You know, some people think about Mercy mm -hmm. for Animals or whatever the charity is. And I just say, work with them mm -hmm. where you can work with them and where you don't agree with them. Have a conversation yeah. with people within the organization of how you think they could do better at whatever you think should be done better. And then maybe they'll make those changes or maybe they won't. But just being upset with organizations... I just think it's highly detrimental. Yeah, a lot we see, uh, I you see it a lot in in different social justice. I mean, you see it in politics. You there's yeah, it's everywhere. It's everywhere, and and you're never going to agree 100 percent with anybody. And so it's one of the problems we have in our country right now that nobody wants to talk to anybody if they right. even a little bit. You know, if you're not vegan right. enough, if you're not active and activist right. enough. 
But you know that that experience of you going to LA, uh, yeah. sorry, yeah, going to LA and then working for Mercy for Animals, um, is really the exact example that we can use to talk about the first follower. And even though you weren't right. his first and, follower. And we didn't like, work for him. You know, Susan and I were just volunteers. Right. No, right. You know? We just right. so believed in it. But the power, the power that comes from adding your talents and your abilities and your interest and your passion and, and everything that's needed to something that's already starting to get off the ground is so necessary because you know, we're talking on the show a lot about how, how people change the world. And it's often like how I built this, you know, how did I start this company? How did I start this organization? But the really nothing happens if there's one person, if there's just one person doing it or, you know, their, their cousin and their sister is somebody's helping them out. And when you can go in and bring all that passion to somebody who's got the idea and the, 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 uh, the organization starting a little bit and you bring it to it, it's just like that 500,000, what did that do for Mercy for Animals? I mean, whether that was going to ever come a different way or not, you'll yeah. never know. But it came because you and Susan, yeah, I Susan think you Weingarten. said, right? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, Susan Weiner, yeah, so that you put together this thing and you brought it's, your talents. It's funny when you say because um, I had helped an organization called Vegan Outreach do a fundraiser. You know, I helped uh -huh. them get food donated, invited the donors. They raised 25000 at this event. And from the money they raised, it would allow two mm -hmm. activists to go across the country, meet with donors. The donors they met with ended up funding Vegan Outreach in India. So the 25000 led to vegan out uh you know vegan outreach doing outreach in india Another country. and you think about Amazing. it it's that whole ripple like you need the first five dollars to turn into a thousand to turn right. into ten thousand to turn into hiring a staff but without the first five or ten it does it, it does, just doesn't happen so and that's right. why i tell people all the time start your project Go to your friends and family to have them help financially support at whatever level they can. And if it's two hundred dollars, it's two hundred dollars. It's two hundred more than you had before you started. And then take that two hundred. Absolutely right. And then you know hire a social media Parlay person it. to help you like promote the project online, and then build your Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. And then it's really just seeing the ripple. And too often people think, you know, when I've been involved with museums, my you know my good friend Connie Mandel started the Museum of Tolerance, and she said. You have to start small. You just have to start. And if you don't start small or start at all, it'll never get done. And it's just always stuck with me that people have these grandiose ideas and they're still in grandiose yeah. 10, 15 years later because they were yeah. unwilling to work with other people. But I, I, I have to, I have to, or, um, it's my time to criticize Debbie for all the people out there. Debbie is terrible. Let me throw this out there. Terrible about plugging yourself. She wrote an amazing book about the first follower, which I'm excited we're going to talk about because you and I, in one of our early conversations, <laughs> talked about how not every person changes the world like in a big, profound way. They might inspire somebody that inspires somebody that inspires somebody. But your whole book and your whole thought that you you know, have said in a way nobody else I'd ever met has said of the first follower is the key person, it just so resonated with me. Because in acting, yeah. they teach people the yes and principle that when people are doing improv, when you know, people are pitching an idea for a business or a nonprofit, somebody's like, oh, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. I don't know about this. I don't know about that. They need to hear <laughs> yes and yes. And let's take it. Yes. Let's expand it. Yes. And what else there. can we do? Yeah. But they need the yes. The right. and and the but are like, you know, especially but or no are just it stops momentum. But the yes and people need it. And I feel like 
I mm-hmm. try to be that for people oh. and I love, you know, what you're doing with your book and obviously yeah. now what you're doing with your podcast, the whole idea of people to feel like they're supported and hearing, yes, great idea. And this is what I can do to help you further along. I'm not going to work mm-hmm. for you. I'm not going to be your assistant. I'm not going to intern, but. Or maybe you are, or maybe yeah, that is or what right. Or maybe do, I am. You know? Or maybe right. I just have three yeah. good ideas and introduce you to the key five people. And then those mm-hmm. people are going to do a million times better than I would have done anyway. Because they understand the yeah. cause and they're more passionate about it, you know. The thing, yeah. um, just a slight yeah. correction, because I really, uh, yeah. I did write about it, and the book is one yeah. person acted and everything changed. But the idea of the first follower, really, it wasn't mine. Uh, I saw a TED Talk one time, and it wasn't the actual TED Talk. It was just a short little three or four minute video. And I loved this idea, and it's about... Um, the, the person who's promoting the idea of the first follower or the importance of the first follower, he gives this example, and it's just like uh, shows this video behind him of a guy, a lot of people standing on a hillside, um, like hundreds of young, like 20-something people, and they're kind of at a concert. We don't really can't really tell the context. But one of the guys stands up and just starts dancing by himself. And he's dancing alone by himself, and then eventually one other guy comes over and he starts dancing with him. And as they're dancing together, there's like so many little lessons in this thing to, re- to replicate like an organization. Because the, the, fo- the founder, the leader in this case, welcomes him in as an equal. So they're dancing together and they're, they're having a good time. And slowly, more and more, one, two, maybe three people slowly join. And now there's five of them dancing. And it's not about the founder and it's not about the follower it's now about what they're doing. You know, it, it shifts and that the focus is on their, what they're producing yeah. fun in this case. Um, but the, the followers who come, they're not emulating the leader. They're emulating the first follower. That's what they're doing. And, and pretty soon in any kind of powerful organization with momentum, pretty soon it's harder to not join than to join. You know, you're, you're the outcast if you don't join. So that, that equilibrium kind of shifts from you're hesitant to you're hesitant not to. And there's just so much power in otherwise this one person who's a leader and has great ideas but doesn't know how to motivate people, they're just one nut standing out there doing something by themselves until there's someone following them and bringing the passion, bringing the energy. So that just, we did start speaking about that when we ran into each other because it just seemed like that is so often what you do. And I really want people to understand that that the value of that, of just saying, I'm here for you for however long or whatever, um, it, it changes, it changes it all. You, one person cannot make that much of a difference. You can make a difference, but not an incredible difference by yourself. Yeah, I totally agree. And that, that's such a great like visual of now everybody's dancing. Actually, I'll put that in the show notes. Cause I think if you see it for some reason, you know, when you see something and you, even though it's just people dancing on hillside, it really drives what home I've that, found the too is like volunteerism. You know, like uh, I have a good friend, Greta Hunter. She started a vegan food bank, and and just the number of people that I reached out mm. to about her needing volunteers. And so, you know, on the third Thursday of the month, they they give out food. But you have all you have these volunteers who will come on Wednesday where they're sorting the produce and the items. And they're not there on Thursday. Like, they're not able to come Thursday. So there's no photos. There's no person saying thank you. They're just doing it because they're mm-hmm. part of a movement yeah. that's bigger than themselves. And when you see that, you just realize people want to be of service. They just want to know how I, how can I be of service. And 
and they tell do. me how I can do it and tell me exactly what that looks like. Yeah. And then we said to them, you'll, you only need to be there for two hours and it being four hours and nobody's complaining. Nobody's, but if they're right. on the clock and working an hour in, they'd be like, well, well <laughs> can I get out of here? I don't care that you're paying me. When, when's yeah. my break? Yeah. When's my smoke break? And I don't but even you smoke, are- but you know, <laughs> are you, would you, yeah. Consider yourself an extrovert. I, what's so like, funny is, is that part of I what am, you're... but I'm also an intense introvert. Mm-hmm. So it's a funny like way on both. Like, you're like in the if I spend ten days in a row being out at events, I'm going to need like four days of just being at home, and I'll still just... be on the phone. I'll still work, but like I, lo- I need yeah. a lot of just downtime. Yeah, um, that's exactly how I am. I'm, I'm like 50-50. Yeah. But the reason I'm asking is because I think that's what really keeps people from joining or starting something. You know, they have the idea, the passion, the knowledge, and they really want to do something. And, and I think when you move, for example, you're so, you're so embedded now in the culture in L.A., you, in, in that community. You know people, everyone knows you. And it started because you were able to go out maybe one one little volunteer opportunity at a time. I'm not sure, but it, what does it take? Like how can somebody who doesn't have that outgoing, I want to go start something kind of personality. How do they start? Where do they find, let's say they want to work on the environment. So many people want to work on the environment. Um, but where, how do you start? Like, what would you suggest? So I think the, the most powerful thing on social media that people sometimes overlook is the, the groups are already there. Like if you look at Facebook, Instagram, and then, then you know, Meetup, you can find mm-hmm. a group that wants to do beach cleanups. Like you just, whatever area you're mm-hmm. in, it's not a beach cleanup, it's a park cleanup. And if there isn't somebody doing it, well, then you go start it. And then it's just you and two people mm-hmm. or you wait till there's enough people before you start it. So I always say, look for where it's already started. It's, it's less work on you. And if it isn't started, yeah. think about how much it matters to you and then go start it. And so that's and mm. Facebook, Instagram, Meetup, there should be groups that are there. Then the next thing is, is there a you know bigger organization? So I'm a big fan of Doctors Without Borders, the idea of like helping people with their medical needs. Huge I mean, fan. in a different life, you know, I would have been a doctor in this life. Um, I avoid hospitals at all costs, at all costs, but I mean, but you know, but what they do is amazing. So I remember just reaching out to the doctors without borders organize you know, you look them up, see mm-hmm. if there's a chapter in your area in Los Angeles, there is, yeah. and they just needed help stuff. This is early, you know, 2001, 2002. They need help stuffing envelopes. They need help. It's just, it's just administrative stuff that anybody can do. But by going there and helping, mm-hmm. you're getting to interact with the staff and you get to meet them. And you're mm-hmm. part of helping an organization that you believe in do more good. And I have found brainless work is the best way to meet people. It's like what I was saying before about, you know, with the food, the, the food bank, right, <laughs> of just assembling the food in the on the different pallets. Because uh-huh. you get a chance to just hang out with people and just chat while you're working. And nobody's mad at you for talking. Yeah. And then from that, you realize what are the other things these people are involved with. And so much of it is finding Mm -hmm. your community. So what I say to somebody, if tomorrow you move to Portland or Denver or Los Angeles, go on Meetup. It's free. Go on Facebook. Go on Instagram. And just do searches for the kind of things that you're interested in. And it could be hiking. If you like hiking, find a hiking group. And then when you go hiking, tell Mm -hmm. people in that hiking group, hey, I've been really trying to figure out how to volunteer and help, you know, animals mm-hmm. at a sanctuary or how to help, you know, elderly people at an elderly center 
or how to help, you know, orphans, mm -hmm. whatever it is, start telling other people what you're looking for because you're letting other people who are locals help you. And I also am just a believer in this is casual dating. This is a marriage. So when people find an organization, you don't fully commit before you've gone there once. Do help for a day, help for an hour. And if you just don't like it, if you think the person running it is a little too dictator or, you, you know, there's no air conditioning on, it's like 98 degrees in there and you don't like, like, so don't commit to doing a one year internship somewhere. Just go once, mm -hmm. see if you like it, see if you like the people. Mm -hmm. And if you like it, then decide, okay, I'm going to commit yeah. more. Because again, it goes back with yeah. a yes and sort of principle of like, yes, I want to help. And I'll decide how much I want to help after I help once. Because mm -hmm. I know for me, yeah, one of my advice, failings for sure in my early activism is I committed a lot to organizations that are good organizations, but they weren't my passion. Like in college, you know, yeah. we were volunteering with Salvation Army, where there's a lot of people helping feed people at Salvation Army. And, mm -hmm. but you know, you look, 30 years later and I'm helping with a food bank because it feels different to me because these are healthy meals that, you know, these are vegan meals, which is in alignment with my value system. And I don't mm -hmm. just want to feed right, people, right. you know, just food to have food. I want them to have healthy food if we can do that. And the same thing, like whenever we worked with like elderly communities that had speech issues, I just did not do well with people I couldn't communicate with. And I don't do well with like mm -hmm. really young children who are, you know, babbling. Like, um, so you just figure out what group, do you do best with and then yeah just like you do in life anyway it's just yeah. how we are in life that's and, where and we like like you know, these well, animal sanctuaries they need people to help clean the barn or help walk dogs that's just not what i'm good at i can do it for a day but yeah. i'm not going to enjoy it where if they say yeah. to me hey yeah. can you help us for the next month and putting together this fundraiser and help you know introduce us to social media stars and celebrities i could spend a thousand hours doing that and be right. so much happier than spending six hours. But you didn't know that until you did That's those exactly other things, it, until you right? walked dogs, until you volunteered. You have to do it yeah. a few times. But what you're talking about has been principally about right. volunteering. And obviously, people need right. to make a living and need to have the time to do it. So um, yeah. these same principles apply when you're looking for work, if you're looking to commit yourself to working for the environment and there's just it's a great way to get a permanent job is by volunteering and i've done that a number of times in my life and it's just it's the greatest entree into an organization because you're not making much of a commitment and you're finding out if it's something you really want to be around you're totally and right in the field, yeah and yeah and then there's yeah. a there's a group that does something that's even more of a match of what you want to do than the first group and and then you realize okay mm -hmm. well let me go volunteer there and, and i think so much yeah. of life is us figuring ourselves out and figuring out, you know, are you a morning, afternoon, yeah. evening person and working and right. volunteering that kind of matches your body clock the best you can. And then also, right. you know, there's people I know that, that are, you know, they could, they could work for 20 straight hours. They're, they're happy. There's other people, they need breaks built in throughout the day. It's just really figuring mm -hmm. ourselves out, figuring out the kind of work. I have a good friend, Josh Goldstein, he loves mm -hmm. um, transporting animals. So if an animal is going from a veterinary clinic to huh. a sanctuary, he'll do that. Sometimes people will find like an injured animal in, in a park. So, so sure. you know, they'll call him and he'll pick them up. But, you know, generally it's from, you know, vet clinic to sanctuary. And, 
he can't mm-hmm. do it enough. Like he just loves it. And he realized, okay, it's not, yeah. you know, the organizations might pay him a little bit of money. They'll reimburse him with gas. It wasn't enough to turn it into a job, but then he got a, you know, mm-hmm. full-time job elsewhere. Then he would do this as a volunteer activity on the weekends because he, and it's again, mm-hmm. it's something that the, that this, the animal advocacy movement needs. They need people to help transport animals. He's transported a, a little pig before. I said, how did a pig fit in your car? He's like, oh, you know, they're in a little crate. <laughs> oh, this is all in his car? car. Uh, yeah, picturing that's a, what I would have thought too. Some kind and he or, said the pig yeah, was really yeah. small. And I was like, well, let the pig know oh, it's the last sweet. time you're transporting the pig. Because in the next month or two, like that pig's out. The, the pig will have to drive the car and they'll have to transport you. It'll be bigger than you are, Josh. So I, I think it's, <laughs> it's that whole thing of like find your niche. And then the other thing, which you brought up a great point is, when you volunteer, it can turn into a job. It may not. So make sure you're sustaining yourself. So make sure you are making money doing other things. Or if you, you know, are only volunteering, don't volunteer a thousand hours because it's going to cost you gas, money, and time, and food, and everything else. And you burn out. You will burn. You'll get right. resentful. I have definitely put myself in positions like that where I, you know, get fussy or because so, I'm just overdoing it. I don't don't know how to say no or haven't known how to yeah. say no. So. Yeah, you got to set your boundaries too. Because with volunteers, everybody needs volunteers all the time. There's never right. enough. So people people will take as much as you'll give. So you have to set your own boundaries and say, I've got two hours. I've got right. one minute. And not <laughs> feel bad. Because you if know. you leave, it's exactly what you said. Right. The two hours Don't you let gave them make is you two feel hours bad. more than they would have got otherwise. Right. And an extra six hours And your would friend be might come with you. you can do yeah. it. But if you yeah. can't do it... And I see almost every yeah. time volunteers never stay as long as they said they would. They always stay longer. They're always there an extra hour, an extra two hours. <laughs> like it, They're running late yeah, for whatever the next yeah. thing is. They always want to do more. But I always yeah. say, don't miss your job interview. Don't miss your your right. job. Like if right. you're working at a restaurant, don't miss your restaurant job because you're volunteering. Because we need you to be able to to continue to live. You have and, to take care, you know, yeah, care of yourself. Take care of yourself. So that's, yeah. but that really would be my advice is for people to find what resonates with them. And a lot of people have come to me and said, Hey, I want to work from home. How do I do this or that? And I said, organizations always can use help, you know, whether it's research, yeah. helping with their Google Docs, their database, it's online social media stuff. Like it's whatever mm-hmm. you can do. And then as they teach you when you're applying for a job, it's also true in, vol- in volunteering. Do you know, I've never met anybody that knows how to do Microsoft Access. But everybody has their resume. I think I met one person. They know Excel, Access, uh, PowerPoint, you know, uh, yeah. Word. Yeah. If somebody asks you, do you know how to do it? Say, no, but I'm happy to learn. And then they'll teach you. And then yeah. once they taught you how to do whatever the volunteer activity is. You know, I didn't know how to, to put together events at all. Like when I was in college, you know, we got the venue for free. So I didn't have to book a venue. And the PA system was free. Mm-hmm. Well, when I moved to LA and I was helping put events together, you know, I had to do A to Z where it's like, it's the microphones, it's the finding the venue for charities. But after you've done it a couple of times, it becomes easier and easier and easier and easier. And the re- the reality is nobody is qualified for life. You know, this as a mom, there's no schooling or training to be the best parent you can be. It's on the job training. Hopefully people... Because everything changes yeah, constantly. Hopefully, yeah, technology changes. Yeah, and you, you got some window into it, right? If you had a sibling or friends that had a child, but it's not the same until you're actually in the pilot seat. And when you're in the pilot seat, it's, you know, you drive in a a race car and it's out of control sometimes, but you do the best you can. And it's going to a new place every single day. (laughs) And it has nothing to do with you, right? The charity or the child or 
You have to or be the flexible. animal yeah. that's the dog right. that's like moody yeah. that day may have nothing to do with you. So you just go with it and say like, oh, mm-hmm. so, so yeah, I think that's so much of it, but I feel like the heartbeat of the, the social good world. I see it in politics mm-hmm. on both the Democrat and Republican side. It's volunteers. It's people who pa- believe so passionately in what they believe in and all the faith communities. It's people that believe in what they believe in. And the vast majority are not compensated for what they believe in, but they keep doing it because they're trying to change the world for the better through their lens. So, yeah. 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 Which is actually something that you're working on now too. Yeah. I don't know if you want to talk about projects. I, I don't know what all you're involved in now. I know that's one thing you're doing podcasts. Yeah. So I've, I've interviewed people from, you know, the right politically, the left politically, and it's, it's a conversation series um, where you're having one person that has one strong opinion on one side, one from the other side, and they just have an hour dialogue about the one topic. And I think, you know, as we all know, especially with all the gun violence, you know, why is it the first time that a month passed without a school shooting was was COVID? Like it took a global pandemic for, you know, children to be saved at school. So because the kids weren't going to school. So it's like, well, how do we get people from both sides to sit down and talk about what are sensible and logical things we can do to try to Mm -hmm. help stop children? And I said to somebody, so much money is spent on the U.S. military. If we have to have 30 police officers surrounding every school, then surround every school. Like, I think it's really inexcusable that children are dying in schools. Like, it's just, it's just, again, goes back to preventable death. It's so preventable. And and then everything about after school programs for kids and mental health for kids. Like, I think our our focus is misguided on what we invest in in this country. And it really needs to be. We all say we care about young people, but I don't think um, our resource allocation reflects that at all. Because if it did, no. we would have music and art and more sports mm-hmm. and speech and debate and all that. for ki- like, Kids should be able to have after school activities until midnight, really, if they needed it. And we don't do that. They leave school, they go back home, they're latchkey kids. And if their parents are, you know, one single parent or both parents are working, they're raised by the no- the community. And if the community's gangs or the community is their friends who get into trouble, right. they're going to get into trouble. So, um, so yeah, so really our conversation well, series is, you know, let's tackle all the big issues. The yeah. hard ones, the really, the really dicey ones that's separating America yeah. and, right and now. And have yeah. thoughtful people who aren't, like, obviously they're going to get a little frustrated. I'm well aware that's going to happen, but I don't want them to yell and scream. Yeah. We're not trying to reinvent mm-hmm. the, the talk shows of, you know, I guess the first one was Morton Downey Jr., uh-huh. the talk show host, you know, back in the night, where they'd be <laughs> yelling at the guest. And No, that, because people then just tune in for the fireworks and not for the discussion, and you're really there to have a rational, hopefully rational and, and well-thought-out and well-discussed topic of discussion on all these hot issues, and people are so angry about so many things. So I, I love that you're doing that, and I, I love that people are willing to come on the show and, and behave themselves so that they can have uh, a, a proper dialogue that people can actually get something from that's not just there for the theatrics. You know, that's so, it's what we need. It's what we need everywhere. It, it's another one of the things right, that we need. People from all sides yeah. say this and believe this and know this, right? Like on every side of the spectrum. But don't do it. And yeah. I think, you know, what's happened a lot of is, is with social media is we're all in bubbles, right? Like the way everything, the aggregation, everything works is you're seeing the silos, the silos right. with your friends. And I yeah. think I'm so lucky when I get to talk to people 
that have a you know 180 degree yeah. different perspective than I do because they challenge you, they make you grow. And you know, one of my closest friends, she always likes to say, Prabhat, I completely disagree with you on that. And I always say, why are we still friends? But then but but we are still <laughs> friends because part of it is we don't completely disagree. We just have a nuanced interpretation of the way we view things. And you have other interests, no doubt, that overlap. Because yeah. I do have many friends that I'm politically different from. And people are often surprised. They're like, oh, my gosh, you're hanging out with so-and-so. They think, I'm like, yeah, exactly. That's how life has always been. We're just getting used to an, an environment where that's not the case anymore. And to normalize having, like when I was growing up, we always had political conversations at our dinner table and intense ones. And at Christmas and Thanksgiving with the more and more relatives, you get more and more diversity of opinion, to put yeah. it mildly. And that was just normal. And it's, I don't see that much anymore. People are actually afraid to bring up indelicate subjects or, or these because people are so hostile about them. So if you can normalize that more, bring together people and yeah, okay, we're going to get upset once in a while. We're going to talk, speak louder maybe than is comfortable for some people in the room but we're going to tackle the issues respectfully that's everything I and mean, that that could help us solve every kind of problem that and we're I discussing think, and yes yeah, so much of it too is to be open to where we're wrong like i grew up in oklahoma and i thought you know and this is you know the 80s 90s that there were yeah police brutality happens sometimes sometimes african americans are shot but it happens very rarely it's not that common and then now then as i got older i realized NWA, Public Enemy, they're documentary filmmakers. They were letting us know what was happening regularly in their communities. And people like me were so immune from it because we didn't see it in our neighborhood that we falsely right. believed it barely happened. When just in the last two years, we've seen it happen dozens and dozens of times on video, mm -hmm. which means it's happening way more where it's not videotaped. So to me, I said right. to my friends that are African-American, like, I apologize that I didn't understand the plight that your community is going through and that I viewed it as a lot less of a struggle than it is. And if you're in that and you're experiencing it every day, it's going to affect your opinion of police. It's going to affect your opinion of brutality. Oh my gosh, you don't, you don't call them. Right. I mean, that's when we're all starting to understand. I mean, I was a diversity trainer in the nineties and I, for like for several years, I had no clue. My niece is African-American and I didn't know until I didn't understand, even though I've been, she's grown up. I was newer since the day she was born. I didn't understand until black lives matter what she's going through. Right. Like until she started writing op-eds and, and writing it out. And, and I get, I get teary when I think about it because I'm just like, oh, my God, here I am so concerned that I become a diversity trainer, but I still don't have the idea that if you're black, you don't answer, you don't call the police when you're in trouble because that will multiply your problems. Right. You don't have that privilege. So I think a lot of us have really learned a lot. But, again, it just shows us how much we have to go, how far we need to move to, to fully yeah, understand. And, and it's only and what you said, it's like it's you hearing a first person account from your niece and just realizing that, like, yeah, this is somebody, you know, and love that's dealing with this. And you don't even, you know, those conversations always get brought. Yeah. I mean, I think, too, what we see a lot of is people that are in you know domestic violence relationships and like they deal with that. And we don't you know, we didn't even know they were in that. I've had so many close friends that have talked to me mm -hmm. about going through right. that. And then you think, yeah. how did I miss that? Like I was in this person's life mm -hmm. and I was a good friend to them, but you know, they weren't yeah. in a place where they're ready to share it. They had their own fear around it. And then now it's, you know, 
more directly asking people, you know, do you feel safe in your relationship? Okay, your partner yelled at you in public. Is that a regular occurrence? And if you don't feel safe, mm. you know, what can we do to help you, you know, find mm. that? So. so awareness is so big in, in everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, what do you, Prabhath, what is next for you, do you think? Are you, is this uh, podcast that you're doing, is that taking most of your yeah, energy? Yeah, it's a days? lot of it because the, the plan is, is, you know, we're starting it as podcasts and videos and it's all through the Real Change Media Center. People can find Real Change Media Center on Facebook. And so that's what sort of where it all comes through. And then the goal is after, you know, we've, we do more and more of them. It's doing some, you know, in-person events. The thing I'm very leery of is I don't want people to boo and hiss and applaud. I just want them to listen. Like I want, I want, mm-hmm. a, I want a passive audience the day of the conversation and an active audience the second the conversation ends. But I don't want an, an active see. audience interrupting. Because for me, no. you know, I recently got to interview Steve Bannon, who's, you know, very conservative. And I'm very much on the liberal side. And we had such a wonderful conversation and, and, and I thought, you know, I'd seen an interview where he's in Oxford and there are protesters outside. It's like the best way you can protest somebody is actively work against what they're working for. But the other thing you can do Mm -hmm. is just, and, and what he said is he said, I wish the kid, the, the students in Oxford weren't outside protesting. I wish they were in the room and asking me the hard questions and challenging me. That's good. And when he said that, I said to people, Hmm. You guys can hate everything this guy stands for, but he legitimately Mm -hmm. wants, I asked him some tough questions during our podcast. You know, I think, you know, he wants to be challenged. He wants people to, to understand why he wants the world to be the way he wants the world to be. And the reality is, and it would be interesting to know. It would be interesting to hear. I I would appreciate hearing his, his, what makes him tick, why he, why he supports Trump so strongly and, and what all he believes about America. I mean, how can we have a rational conversation or make any progress if we don't actually listen? And, so, and I mean, I've had friends that said to me, well, why would you put light on somebody that has a different perspective than that you do? Too. And I said, what right. I believe is the problem isn't that we're putting light on people that are that we oppose. It's we're not putting enough, enough light on people that we oppose. When, when you meet people that are Holocaust deniers, I want them to have a spotlight. I want us to hear why they believe what they believe so we can say the Holocaust happened. Like you cannot deny that millions of people were killed. So I not only don't want them to be in a corner spouting what they believe, I want to shine the brightest light on them I possibly can have because I want people to Mm -hmm. hear their case and think, does this make sense? Is this rational? Mm -hmm. Why did this person come to the conclusion they came to? And what are other things that they're denying that they shouldn't be denying, right? Are they denying that that African-American people are shot? Are they denying, you know... Well, yes, that that is the newest one from Texas. I read the other day that they're changing the the trajectory or the the history, basically, that Africans weren't brought to America for slavery. They were just relocated, as many people are forced to relocate in life. And it's just like a complete undermining of the whole slavery experience. So, you know, you're right. I understand the idea that you don't want to put a spotlight on on things that you believe are untrue and harmful, which I think those are. But um, 
if you don't, then they just get to speak continuously to the audience and no one ever challenges them. No one even knows that it's something to question. Right. Uh, the, the, the flip side to that, though, of course, is that other people that you agree with have to be able to stand up to that same um, questioning and that same exposure and that same light on them. And more and more, we're going into our own areas where that's not happening. So we both both sides, and there's not two sides, there's a th- there's an right. infinite number of sides to everything, and everyone needs to be exposed, not just people we disagree with. We have to also be willing, everyone has to be willing to say, why do you believe that? Maybe change right. my and mind. And if we really want to learn, like, what is learning about? It's challenging our views, and most of the way it gets challenged is through people we know and trust, and us just giving mm-hmm. them a chance to educate us on these issues. And, and there's right. a great documentary Liz Crokin did uh, called Slave Princess about conservatorships and Britney Spears. And when you see it, I mean, Liz mm-hmm. Crokin is, you know, pretty outspoken conservative person. And I tell people watch this documentary because it'll, she gives you a window into child trafficking and wh- how that happens. She mm-hmm. gives you a window into, mm-hmm. you know, the, the exploitation of these young celebrities that are in the entertainment industry that are often abused. And I thought, I so appreciate. That's valuable information. Uh, yeah. Have, I appreciate right? what Liz yeah. did. She's, putting her own money into yeah. this. She's so passionate about what she believes in. And even if I might disagree with her on this or that, a little politically here or there, I appreciate her as a person. Sure. And I, you know, right. overall agree with who she is, what she's doing. And I think if we sat down and had lunch, we're probably going to agree on 99.999% of stuff. We might vote for somebody different in every election, but besides who we vote for, we're going to want the world and the, you know, and the society to change in the way mm-hmm. we want to change. So. I think, again, it just, on paper, there's people we think we're going to disagree with, but in reality, we are going to agree with them so much more. It's just being exposed to their viewpoint and really listening and and having a conversation as we're doing today. Well, I'll definitely, I'll put that, uh, it's just that we agree on a lot, so we can't, (laughs) we'll find something though. Uh, One thing we might agree on is that uh, we need to wrap up pretty soon, we've kind of got our a full time, but um, I'll definitely put the link to that show. It's realtimemedia.com. Uh, re, 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 real, change, in... uh, real Change Media. Oh, sorry. Real Change Media Center. God yeah, but, but I can find it for you yeah. in Facebook. And, yeah. and then, and then yeah, positivetelevision.org we'll a... is my company, and you can link to Well, that. can we talk? So I want, let, let's definitely take a moment to talk about that because I wasn't sure where, where it stands. So, yeah, this is a huge thing that you you started quite a while ago, right? Twenty thirteen. Yeah, two thousand and four. Yeah, two thousand four. Yeah. Oh, I had yeah. no idea. Okay, and this is still you're yeah, still so, doing this. So tell us a little bit so about that. Positive television is, is it's you know what really brought me to California. The idea was how do you take uh, you know all these charities around the world and how do you highlight them? So a lot of what I realized back then was it was, you know, attaching a celebrity to them, having celebrity spokespeople. And what's changed in Mm -hmm. the last 20 years is the new celebrities are these social media influencers, right? The Instagram, Facebook people, Twitch, Twitter, um, you know, all the different platforms that are there. Um, So, so what we do is, you know, we'll help produce events for charities, but we'll also try to help them identify who are celebrities that, would be great people to help endorse what they do. And so, and it's funny because, you know, I'm involved with all these projects, but when I take a step back, I see how they're all interrelated. You know, so positive television is like about how do you use media to do good, right? Then the real change media center is how do you do, you know, media, (laughs) how do you do live events 
where you're going to create real tangible change, not in our lifetime, but, you know, in the next month. Like, how do you really create real change immediately? Yeah. And yeah. So, and then, yeah. So, so this uh, positive television, it's, it's an ongoing uh, project and how, how do we, how do people watch it or how do we get access to it? So if you go online, it's positivetelevision.org. So yeah, positivetelevision.org. And there's a whole section with videos that we produced or we collaborated with, with a bunch of organizations where it's celebrities talking about why they endorse the causes they endorse. So it's a lot of PSAs. What we really wanted was like a centralized hub for inspiring, you know, videos of people talking about what they do good. So, you know, John Goodman did a PSA, um, you know, uh, and it's, you know, you just go through the list of, Celebrity after celebrity yeah, that I are. I think I saw Moby on one of those, right? Right, yeah. Mo- Moby has done PSAs, and you know, a lot of it's going to be yeah. the the cause that I hold near and dear, which is animal sure. advocacy and children's rights. You know, helping foster kids, but there's just so many issues, and and you know, my my real thought has always been, how do you get the maximum number of people to to use their voice for good? And sometimes it's it's the PTA mm-hmm. mom that you know, can do a fundraiser that's going to mobilize, you know, 500 people. Oh, of course. She's the celebrity yeah. in that community. You know, the the, yeah. the child who's doing the the lemonade stand to, you know, raise money or raise, create solidarity for their classmate that has cancer. There's just so much good that people do. So we just want to centralize it. So, yeah, that's. Well, can people get in touch with you if they, they're interested they can. in so, um, having something yeah, promoted? Yeah, so if they reach out to me, they, they yeah. can they can text us directly. It's 310-872-0669. Again, 310-872-0669. And then on social media, um, through Real Change, um, the Real Change Media Center, they, they can find that on Facebook, um, which I can also okay. include all those links for you. Or... You know. Sure, we'll have all the links. Sometimes people like to hear it. Yeah, but yeah. Again, the number is three. So that I'm, I'm glad you provided that. Yeah. They just shoot us a text. We'll get back to them. And also, okay. sometimes people want to be invited to the live events. So if they just say, "Hey, we'd love mm-hmm. to be invited. This is a city we live in," because you know, so much of what we do is Los Angeles, but we still are doing stuff right. in other cities as well. Oh, okay. I'm going to join right. that list. Yay. <laughs> let, me, let me write it's, that it's down. A, it's at Debbie's house. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> so my, that's fine. House. I like company. Yeah. No, but I thank like you for what you're doing. I think it's so Except it's so small. important to have these kind of outlets for people, and I think they 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 need to they too. need to be reminded the world is so much better today than it's ever been. There's more media attention, so we think it's worse, but there's never That's been right. more thoughtful, more considerate, more action oriented people than yeah. today. Because today we mm. can be sad about a war that's across the globe. Where there was a war across the, across the globe 40 years ago, we just didn't know about it. And through our sadness and through our actions, you know, we can take steps to stop these our things. Donations our donations and our activism. Yeah. yeah. No, there are more world changers now. And, and to, for people to understand that and, and restore hope, that's a huge part of my motive with this show is that when you lose hope, you, you lose everything. You just can't motivate yourself to go make change if you think climate change is is we're doomed, you know, and you think there's no hope, you won't take action. But when people understand that there is hope, you know, and hope is contagious. So we, we inspire one another. And so I do think it's really important to get word, the word out through positive television, through how we change the world podcast and, and, and any way that, um, 
anyone is trying is is a value. Yeah, and I encourage everyone to post so. nice things on their social media. Post a good story or, you know, <laughs> There's a nice or like beginning. do something nice yeah. for a stranger for a day and then encourage others to do the same because that's the ripple effect when we see kindness. Keep it yeah. going. You keep it going. All right, Prabhat. Hugs, hugs to you. To you. It's thank so good you to, to you, Debbie, and, and thank you to your whole you crew person. and everybody that helped out today. Thank you. All right. Take care. We'll talk, talk soon. soon. Bye, everyone. Keep keep on keep on doing I, what I'll, you're doing. I'll, I'll, for till the day I'm gone, I'll be here <laughs> forever. Thank you, Dad. All right, take care. Bye. Bye.